Well, hello. Welcome back to In My Non-Expert Opinion. I'm your host, Chelsea Reif, and this podcast covers lifestyle, manifestation, travel, and business. Today is definitely a mix of the wellness world and business. However, it definitely started out addressing the issues going on in today's world. If you listened to my last podcast, you heard my stance on Black Lives Matter and what I'm trying to do as a white woman to hold myself accountable and take steps forward. And Helen is very much on the same page. So we actually kicked off this week talking about the wellness world and the racism that exists within it and the ways that we as white women can commit to being anti-racist. So we have talks about our own thoughts about it, the resources we're using, the courses we're investing in, the leaders that we're looking to. So it's definitely a helpful conversation if you're someone that's listening and you're like, I really don't know where to start and I don't know what to do and I feel helpless. We talk about those things and we also talk about the importance of self-care during this time. Because if you're like me and you know a lot of people going through um, emotional turmoil right now, it's very hard to just take a step back and be like, okay, let me breathe, let me reset, because you feel selfish. And it is a very fine line to walk. Like you can't just stop doing the work, but at the same time, you do need to take a break and reset and unplug and recharge so that you can show up even better. So these are the things that Helen and I discussed for the first 30 plus minutes. We then get into her background in the wellness field, the practices that she swears by today, how she even started her company. There's a lot of golden nuggets in there. And what's interesting to me is how much we all can relate no matter what area of the world we're from. Helen is from the UK and I'm from the United States, but I live in Australia. And obviously all those different countries have different backgrounds, different drinking cultures, different societal expectations. So you might think, oh, I'm the only one going through this and no one's going to understand. And it's just nice to hear that people that are in a totally different country also have the same exact issues. So Helen and I really get into that and the common ground that we share, as well as how we get over it and the different rituals and practices that we enlist. So if you want to give Helen a follow, her company is Samsara Communications, and she also has a wellness business accelerator coming up, which is super exciting. Definitely take a look at that. And for me, I am actually launching a course as well in August. I'm going to open the waitlist in mid-July, but if you need more info, please shoot me a DM at Chelsea Reif, and you can also join my Facebook group. If you're not a part of it, the Facebook group has basically become this online community of people all focused on mindset and manifestation. And it's called Reframe Your Mindset to Change Your Life. Totally free group. I do Facebook Lives in there. I do interviews. I ask questions. There's a lot that's going on in there. It's a really important community to me. So if you want to be a part of that, just find it on Facebook or shoot me a DM. And if you want to be on the waitlist for the course, which is called From Chaos to Confidence, also shoot me a DM or email me hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com and we will add you to the waitlist. So yeah, lots of exciting things going on. I think I'm also going to be doing some masterclasses specifically around podcasting. So if you are a podcaster and you're like, I don't know how to set up, I don't know how to book big guests, I don't know how to market myself, I think I'm going to start teaching about that because I just hate to see people struggling and not start their podcast and be so scared to really take that leap. So I want to teach people how to get out of their own way and really take that leap because there's so much benefit in podcasting and putting your voice out there and having a platform. So stay tuned for that as well. 
Of course, if you are a big fan of this episode or found any value or the podcast in general, please leave a review and rate it. It helps so much. This podcast is completely free. I actually think I'm going to also start a Patreon and give advice with my mom. If you guys heard my one episode of my mom, you will know exactly why this is content that you want to hear, but stay tuned for that. There's just a lot going on behind the scenes right now. We're just finalizing some details, but lots of good things coming. All right, with that, let's dive into the episode. So I would like to kick off this podcast today by discussing what's going on in the world and what actions I'm going to take as someone that is committing to doing the anti-racist work. I think something that is really hard to address is your own privilege, but it's also hard to commit to steps if you have no idea what to do. And that's where I think educating yourself and reading and relying on resources becomes extremely helpful. That's what I've been doing the past two weeks. I've been paying black educators that know about diversity and inclusion. I've been paying for masterclasses and workshops. I've been reading and I'm really just trying to figure out what that looks like for me because I also think it's important to not just blindly throw up something that you don't believe in. So those are just some things that I'm I'm trying to reflect on. You know, if I say I'm going to do something, am I going to follow up and do it? And do I believe it? And what does that look like in terms of my presence online, my messaging, my employees who I hire, etc. Um, and it's not easy work. So today I wanted to kick off talking about that. And my guest Helen, welcome to the show. I would love to hear your thoughts and you know where you're at today as well. Yeah, sure. So thank you for having me. First of all. Um, I'm in a really similar position to you. I have been immersing myself in reading, listening to podcasts, um, donating to people as well. Um, I am reading a really good book called Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race by Rennie Edo-Lodge, which I would highly recommend. That's been really, really great in just helping me understand Um, my privilege um, and the systems of white supremacy and how they've oppressed people of colour much more deeply. Um, I have also done uh, a lady called Rachel Ricketts. She has an amazing um, digital workshop called, what's it called? Spiritual Activism. Spiritual Activism. Yeah, Yeah. have you done it as well? I'm about to take that one. Oh, it's amazing. Um, I did it last week, I think, last weekend. Um, and it was just like, yeah, I can't even describe it really. There are no words, but I just, I think everyone in the wellness industry needs to do that workshop. It's it's just, it changes the game. Um, so I, yeah, I, I definitely recommend that. And then um there is another woman called Rachel Cargill, um, who's very active on Instagram. Um, so I have been uh, consuming her content. I've been uh, donating to her as well. Um, there's a brilliant article by a lady called, I think it's Layla Fsard is her name. And she wrote an article a couple of years ago, actually, after the Charlottesville events. And it's called something like... Um, Dear Spiritual White Women, um, that is an incredible piece of work as well. So I recommend you can just Google her name and Spiritual White Women and it will come up. Um, And yeah, so that's been, I guess, the bulk of my work over the past uh, sort of 10 days or so. Um, 
and then uh, a friend of mine um, who's in the wellness the wellness world in the UK as well where uh, we want we spoke last week about how we want to actually create a container for how we can discuss these um, these ideas and how we can hold each other accountable to taking action so we have our first kickoff call this week and then yeah we're going to hopefully put into place some some strategies for ensuring that we hold ourselves accountable um our communities and yeah just basically very practically led so that we're actually doing the things that we say that we're going to do as well so yeah it's um it's definitely been uh, an interesting ride over the past 10 days two weeks but I think at the same time it's really um you know as, as horrific as everything is it's really promising that there is this revolution there is this movement that's finally um got the recognition that it's needed for so so long um and so I think it's actually a really interesting time for the for obviously for the world but if through the lens of the wellness world as well um because of course it has been created and boomed in the last sort of five years uh very much centered around white rich women and how to serve them so this is of course like a whole restructuring that needs to take place about how we can create more diverse places uh we can amplify the the voices of um, people of color within the wellness industry as well so yeah i'm excited to see these changes start taking place for sure Absolutely. And I'm glad you pointed out the accountability factor with their, their partner that you're working with, because this is stuff that, you know, is not easy to go through by yourself. The, you, mm. We're all facing some very serious introspections that none of us want to admit. Like, it's weird to out loud say I'm racist because, you know, we're not running around with Confederate flags using racial slurs. But when you realize the systematic racism that has been built and how it serves white women, like you said, especially in the spiritual and wellness world, yeah, it is hard to look at that. So it's actually very nice to have someone that is on the same page as you to work on that stuff with you. That's something that I'm doing as well. That book, um, me and white supremacy by Layla as well. The, mm. the girl that wrote the article you were talking about, she has a workbook. And so my friend and I were talking about it and I was like, instead of doing this alone, why don't we do that workbook together? And so we're doing it on zoom. We're not even in the same country, but we're going to work on it. And I think it's easier when you try to have someone in your circle, do it with you. So you don't feel so alone. And the other part that you mentioned that I really loved was basically how how you're recognizing your own privilege and not being defensive about it. I think that's something that we're all learning to do is I think the word privilege gets the wrong definition. To me, when I first heard that, I was like, what? No, I didn't grow up with a mansion and a million dollars and a car. I'm not privileged. Like that's what I was taking it to be. And you know, as you learn, you realize, oh, that's not what it means at all. It just means mm. out of the gate you've had an advantage because of your skin color. So I appreciate you taking the time to not get defensive or, you know, tr try to build up a wall and bringing these conversations up because they're, they're not going to be easy, but they are necessary, like you said, to actually see progress. Yeah, a hundred percent. And also I like how you brought that up about the privilege not being about, you know, growing up in a big house and everything. And it's the term white privilege does not negate any kind of suffering or saying that white people haven't suffered or don't suffer individually. It's saying, like you said, that we have um, disadvantage from the moment we're born and that many of us have not seen 
until the past week or so. Yeah, I think this is really an invitation to dive really deep. And yes, it will be really uncomfortable for the majority of people, but change and growth often is, and it's necessary. I especially found the Rachel Ricketts workshop really interesting for many reasons, but also because she breaks down these terms of white supremacy, white privilege, white fragility, um, and several other ones as well. So you get this really rich, deep, well, the start of a hopefully rich and deep understanding of exactly how, uh, exactly what your privilege has meant for you in your life. And also how you have been complicit in this system that oppresses people of color and centers on white people. And that is sober. I, yeah, I found that very sobering and would never, will never look at the reality or the world in the same way that I had up until then. So it was a real shift in consciousness doing that workshop. Um, and I'm sure, you know, many of us are going through the same thing, which is a really good thing to not see the world in the way that we had before. Right. And those definitions, like you said, Rachel laid out are super helpful because people hear those words and they have no idea what they mean. And I think when people start breaking it down, um, where we, it's understandable. And, and again, it doesn't bring up that ego of like, that's not me. That's not me. That's not what I believe. It's like, like you said, there's also just systems in place. Like, for example, have you ever gone to the grocery store to get a bandaid and ever had trouble finding a bandaid that matched your skin color? Probably not. Have you Mm -hmm. ever gone to the hair aisle and had a problem finding the correct shampoo and conditioner for your hair? Probably not. Those are things that I started to realize. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't, I truly did not ever realize that if I was a person of color, that that would affect me going to the grocery store. So yeah, I do want to be part of the solution. And this is the first time in a while that I have seen so many people take accountability and look inward. And I do think that has a lot to do with Instagram, right? We mm-hmm. see everyone is taking accountability. We see our favorite influencers stepping up. I mean, not everyone. There's a lot of people that haven't really said anything. And a lot of people are losing their following and their jobs. And there's a lot going on right now. But I see people that I look up to and admire taking a stand and taking action. And so then it inspires me to take a stand and take action. But what I also want to make sure to do is not center myself. Like you said, I don't want this podcast or my content or anything to be about me, me, me. It is now looking at okay, what about the messaging I'm, I'm using in courses and even in my Facebook group and emails? Is it inclusive or am I oppressing people by the language I use? Like These are actual things that I'm really paying attention to now that I definitely did not think of three weeks ago. And I'm, I'm definitely ashamed of that. Like, this should have been uh, addressed way sooner. Yeah. Um, but the point is we are trying to learn and do better. So something I do want to talk about is Instagram and how that has played a factor. Because like I said, I I don't really know if I would have seen this many people taking such a vocal active stand that I would have been so vocal as well. Like it did inspire me and encourage me to speak up. I'm wondering for you, what was it about this specific time that is different than than in the years past? Because this isn't the first movement that we've seen. Yeah, totally agree. Um, I think Instagram has played a an absolutely pivotal role in where we are in this moment because it's so visceral as well. I mean, I found, I saw the George Floyd video from, do you follow a guy called Sean King? So I saw it on his account and I think that the video is just so visceral. And so, I mean, yeah, I can't give it words that will give 
it the respect it deserves. But I think because Instagram is this visually led place, it is literally in your face, in your screen. Most of us spend the majority of our days looking at this little screen on our, in our hands, that, that it was just the complete tipping point. And yeah, it's just, it makes it much easier to then mobilize this movement because, you know, we are all self-publishers now. Um, there's never been a quicker way to disseminate information, to consume content, to share. And I think that's the key thing. It's the sharing. And like you said, you, you know, you see someone sharing resources or saying, you know, these are the, the people of color that I follow that you need to follow. It's just like rapid fire. Yeah. It's been really interesting to see. I think the speed at which this has happened, I mean, obviously, this has been going on for centuries. And as Rachel Ricketts says, we are lifetimes too late to this. The speed at which this particular phase of it has um, allowed this movement to mobilise has been down to Instagram and Twitter, like you said, and other social media platforms. Yeah, it's very interesting to see how quickly people are, are taking action. And it's also a, a blessing and a curse because it is very easy to consume the content and take action and, oh, that's what that means. And here's the resource I can click and the, the swipe up link to donate. I actually wrote an email to the Minneapolis Police Department because someone had a swipe up to a template. That's something mm. that I would have never been able to do before. However, the downside is because that is all on my social media it is starting to affect my mental health where I was even having like nightmares going to sleep. And then I started feeling really overwhelmed and very, I didn't teach yoga or meditation at all last week because all I was seeing was a mix of like police brutality videos on, like you said, on Sean's page, which by the way, I'm learning he's problematic. And that's part of learning and growing is like, okay, we need to also check the resources we're using, but Mm -hmm. like that, like learning that I wouldn't have known that had I not even shared it. So it has taken quite a toll and I just started freaking out because then you feel like this, the weight of the world is on your shoulders and it's up to you to fix it overnight. And that was becoming very overwhelming for me. I had to kind of make rules of myself this week of like, if you want to show up and actually take action, you can't come from a place of, you know, exhaustion and desperate energy and things like that. And this is part of the privilege. Like I can admit that, like me even saying that I have time to do this and take off. It's like, these are, this is what people have been dealing with for years. Uh, So I understand that, but it also is important to rest so that I am coming up louder and bolder and more energetic and more confident. So I'm curious to hear about your experience the last two weeks, especially as, as everything has gotten bigger and bigger, how you're dealing with it. Yeah, I had exactly the same experience as you. Um, I came off my, I shared the Rachel Ricketts workshop on my Instagram page and then I logged out of my account and I'm still um, managing clients' accounts, but I felt that it might, the best use of energy for me and how I can contribute most change is by doing the offline um, activities. So educating, donating, um, researching, planning about how I can actually create change um, because it is overwhelming. And again, I'm trying, I'm very conscious of the language that I'm using, but um, as overwhelming as it is for us as white people, it's nothing compared to what people of color are experiencing and going through. But like you said, it's a learning process and we need to be gentle with ourselves as well about the way that we are, um, we are learning through this. And the key thing is, you know, is it coming from a good place? And yes, it is. And I felt that it's prioritized what, what I could 
meaningfully how I could meaningfully contribute and for me that wasn't being uh posting on my Instagram last week so yeah I think you're right we we do need to be conscious about our energy and how you know how can we show up as our in our full power to create change for this so I think it's yeah it's very much be yeah being conscious of that yeah I had to do the same I actually deleted the Facebook and Instagram app off my phone for the weekend And then I was like, if I'm going to log on, I need to make sure not to scroll or it's just to like check messages and then log off. But it's definitely hard because it's also when you, when you do that, you realize your muscle memory is just fixed (laughs) to check your phone. Like I had nothing to actually check when I even say check my messages, there was nothing to check. I didn't promote anything. I didn't (laughs) like post a question or a poll or anything. So I was like, I'm just checking out of pure muscle memory. So that's a whole different conversation about social media addiction. But what I was finding too was I was getting a little overwhelmed myself with just um, just reposting and regramming and now do this, now do this, now do this, and almost getting a little judgmental of people that weren't. And Mm. I had to take a step back and I called my mom because I was like, angry. I was just like, what is going on? Like I see people out at brunch posting avocado toast and I see people just like promoting their new presets. And I was just getting so angry and it started to turn into judgment. Like, can I even be friends with these people and what's going on? And my mom's like, you have to remember that it's not like I was this passionate about this the last time it happened. There have been multiple Black Lives Matter movements. And I have to remember not everyone is at the place I'm at. And like you said, people might be doing the offline work. So Mm -hmm. my friend that, you know, is posting brunch, who knows, maybe they donated $500 to Black Lives Matter. I have no idea. So that's when I realized I need to take a step back and only like clean up my backyard. Because if I can do that and change at least one to five people's minds, maybe it will be a ripple effect where then they feel comfortable to share with one to five people. And I've learned that's what's going to create change is that sustainable change. If you're coming from a place of, I have to end this overnight. I have to cut ties with every single person in my circle and my family. And um, this is now what I'm going to be thinking about 24-7. That's pretty unsustainable. So I'm curious if you had that realization too, or not realization, but reflection of like your own inner circle and how you're handling it. Yeah, I did. I really resonate with your words. And yeah, I think... I very much got immersed in it and then and had the same judgments. I was getting angry about why are people just sharing Martin Luther King quotes and not taking action or doing something more meaningful. And then, like you said, I don't know that they haven't donated money behind the scenes. Like, so I think that was just before I came off Instagram. Um, I was like, I need to be doing something more useful than <laughs> getting angry about this. Yeah, it is about creating long-term sustainable change. It's not going to be a quick fix though we as a as a world can achieve within three days or something yeah and like you said it's the ripple effect like clean up your own backyard work on yourself with new unconscious bias how you can be actively anti-racist and then um you're in a much better position to then um uh, spread that information from a much more grounded place than this sort of quick fire reaction i mean it was really interesting seeing the whole black square um posting last week because that um there was so much backlash from that and a a black friend of mine messaged me and said I'm furious because there were a lot of people that were posting using the hashtag all lives matter 
um, which of course is detrimental, very detrimental. Um, but also be- when people were using the Black Lives Matter hashtag, and of course most people are going to be very well-meaning with this, but that just meant that when you um, search for that hashtag on Instagram, all you saw was just like this proliferation of black squares, whereas previously there had been resources being shared, there'd been updates on the protests and how you can get involved. So I think that was... It was a quick fire reaction from a lot of people that maybe wasn't um, as helpful. Um, and I saw a tweet from someone that said something like that, you know, that just took off, especially among white people, because it's such an easy way to show or to perform that you are in solidarity. But how many of these people are actually taking action and donating behind the scenes? So I can completely see why my friend was so frustrated. But again, that is sort of the other side of things of what we were just saying about how Instagram does just make accelerates everything. So from that perspective, it's been it's been really interesting as well to see all these different levels and layers. And it's like, okay, how can we use these tools like Instagram but in a conscious way? Because I think social media is incredible, but also the flip side of it is the things like this happening, but also the mental health effects and the addiction and the, you know, especially for younger people growing up, like, thank God that we didn't have Instagram when we were teenagers, because it would have made everything so much harder, I think. Oh my gosh, agree. Because the other, the other issue I know that people are having with speaking up is thinking that they're going to get in arguments. I mean, we've all seen when it's politics season and it's time to vote, and people start posting their opinions and personal beliefs on Facebook, it turns into a 40 plus comment thread that ends up going nowhere. People just get argumentative and start calling each other names and taking each other down. And that's why I asked my audience, I said, like, why are you not speaking up? And people said, I'm very afraid to get attacked. I have different beliefs in my family. I think differently than my boyfriend, whatever it is. And so they didn't want to speak up. And so then I started realizing I was posting this stuff and I wasn't getting backlash. So I was like, I'm, I'm sure people don't agree with me. And then I realized because it was coming from a place of sharing resources and tangible action. Yes, I was getting super emotional at one point, you know, posting very triggering videos and, you know, things that I realized are actually very hurtful if you're posting that in feed to not, um, not even in feed and stories to not put a trigger warning on it and think about how that might affect someone like those again that was the fire reaction I was taking was not even thinking just repost repost regram repost and at one point I was like what am I even fighting for here like do I even know and that was something I had to take a step back and be like okay let me rethink about this okay now I know it's police brutality it's being actively anti-racist it's amplifying people of color's voices that's what I need to focus on. So if I'm going to focus on that, okay, well, how can I amplify people of color's voices? What can I do about police brutality and voting? That's when I started to realize those are the resources I needed to share. But to your point with the black square, I actually took mine down and ended up reposting a square with uh, resources. And I learned it's okay to change your mind. This is where the ego pops up. Like part of me, was like, I'm not taking the black square down. I already put it up. That shows my solidarity. You know, like there was that little voice saying like, don't take it down. You already put it up because in the Instagram world to put something up and take it down is like, you did something wrong. And it's like, yeah, we can admit that we did something wrong. We all did something wrong and made a mistake. And that's what people are scared of too, is making those big mistakes and admitting it. But it actually, to me now almost looks 
sillier to not (laughs) take it down and admit that you were wrong than to just take it down and admit that you were wrong. But again, not trying to be judgmental because I know everyone's learning and these are things that you kind of don't realize till after the fact. So yeah, we're all learning at the same time and we're going at our own pace, but you do have to take a step back and think, okay, what am I actually fighting for and what are the actions I'm taking? So I want to talk a little bit about just baby steps that people can do that are listening. Cause maybe people aren't at the place where they're ready to invest in a masterclass or a workshop or read a book. And they're just like, I want to help, but I'm overwhelmed. There's so many resources. What are like three to five things that you would recommend for someone to do that is interested in doing this? But like you said, doesn't necessarily want to be so loud and vocal online or is just overwhelmed. Mm, yeah, totally. So I mean, for me personally, I started with educating myself. So reading books, podcasts, films um, that have been recommended for as anti-racist resources. It's just taking that first step and immersing yourself into into this, basically. And then I, I know I keep talking about it, but then I did the Rachel Ricketts workshop. That was, yeah, just unbelievably valuable. She makes a point in the in the workshop that as a white person, your need to be right or to be seen as good has to be less than your um, your desire for change. So we need to park that idea that we need to get everything right and to be perfect and say, you know, craft the perfect post about this because we will get it wrong. Like, that's just a thing. We'll say the wrong thing. I've probably said about five wrong things in this podcast. That's just a given. So basically we need to get over that and just get stuck in. So I think looking at it from that mindset really helped me as well. Um, putting your money where your mouth is. So even if you just give a few pounds or a few dollars um, to, you know, the Black Lives Matters movement or to supporting these educators like Rachel Cargill, Rachel Ricketts and um, Leila Saad, um, you know, there's a lot of people doing incredible work that are not getting paid for it. And so we need to pay them. You know, researching Black-owned businesses or wellness businesses or you know, businesses in your area that you can support with your money as well. And then, yeah, thinking about how, you know, if you're in the wellness world or, you know, whatever industry you are in, how can you create long-term change? So again, I think, yeah, having an accountability partner as well, I forgot to say, would um, would be a great start as well um, so that you can actually start, yeah, showing up and committing to doing this work rather than just, you know, this being like a one week thing, this is going to be a lifetime of work. Um, So I think, yeah, creating action plans as well, but take it step by step. Um, Those are just some things that I have found helpful over the past couple of weeks. Amazing. I agree with educating yourself. I mean, that's number one, right? It's, Mm. it's the thing we do for anything. Like if you go to apply for a job, you were probably educated in it first before you applied for the job. If you are going after an interview or a a speaker or something, you usually educate yourself on what they talk about before you talk to them. So it makes sense to start with the education piece and then think of the action that you want to take that you also believe in. And I like that Mm. you brought up Rachel's note of, you know, the image of being good and perfect. It's like, are you posting it because you know, it'll make you look good or do you actually believe it and can back it up? That's something that I'm learning as well. Like 
do I believe this? And is this something I can sustainably commit to and want to see the change? Or is it just for optics? And that's a hard Mm. conversation to have for yourself when you're in the online space, you know, when you are the brand or you are your, like, this is my podcast. So I have to keep talking on this podcast to continue it, you know, and keep going. So it is a hard thing to admit like, okay, yeah, am I doing this because of the optics or am I doing it because I believe in it and, and really looking inward. And I would say a workshop that helped me personally was Trudy LeBron. It's Mm T-R-U-D-I LeBron. And she did a workshop called show up and serve for white coaches. And because I'm leaning into the mindset and manifestation coaching industry, that was really important to me was, okay, am I being inclusive in my Facebook groups and my emails? And, you know, I'm learning all these things about even signing contracts and and scholarships and mentorship programs, so many different things. But that was a great place. If you're someone that's listening, that's a coach or in any leadership position, I would recommend that one. And then I agree with uh, podcasts. They're so helpful to hear from people's different perspectives. There's a million right now. Um, Books, I'm definitely going to read Me and White Supremacy and do that accountability partnership with uh, my friend. And we're going to work through the workbook exercises. And then just taking a step back and realizing I don't need to do this all in a day. That, like I said, it's a sustainable change. Like in my mind, I was like, I need to watch this documentary in the morning and then I'm going to take the workshop and then I'm going to post 10 things and then I'm going to start a scholarship. It was like, whoa, 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 whoa. 1% better than the day before that is going to create sustainable change. That's my goal now. 1% better than the day before, as long as I'm doing 1% better. And if it's something that is, um, again, if you're not someone that's resonating with like taking these workshops or master classes like Helen said, find a black owned business, buy from them, get their beauty, get your beauty products, get your cute clothes, get the hats, get the bags, like all the stuff that you love. See if you've ever bought it from someone in the black community or anyone of color. That's something that I realized all of this stuff was not intentional, right? Like I didn't intentionally say, oh, I'm only going to have white women on my podcast and that's it. I didn't intentionally say, well, if I'm buying sunglasses, it's going to be from a white woman. It's just a byproduct of how I grew up in my environment was a dominantly white community and then dominantly white friend group and dominantly white coworkers. So it's like, of course, naturally, you're going to just end up going after people that look like you. So that's Mm. something that I'm realizing now is like, yeah, why have I never taken anyone of color's workshops or courses when they have the same exact information? And why have I not ever listened to or had any more women on my podcast that are of color? And again, it was not intentional, but now like Rachel, I think it was Rachel Rick, it said intention means nothing. Like it's all about impact. So that's something that I'm really trying to, to look to. Definitely. And this isn't about, um, I'm not suggesting you are, but beating ourselves up about, um, mm-hmm. you know, only just waking up to this now. The important thing is that we're changing it and that we are actively dismantling the systems of oppression that have been running for centuries. Um, so, yeah, back to what I said at the beginning, it's a really interesting and I don't want to say exciting in a like, to sort of negate everything, the, the atrocities that are happening. But in terms of revolution, we're living in a revolutionary time and it's up to each of us individually to contribute to the collective change. And there, you know, there are these huge ripple effects that we don't even know about. You know, 
someone could see your your Instagram post where you share resources and then go on to do you know XYZ that's going to have you know a huge impact on the world around them so yeah we, we each are being called to really step up and uh, and use our privilege for good um, absolutely so yeah it is heavy but you know we we are it's it's an awakening yeah there's like Carl Jung says said whatever there's no coming to consciousness without pain and that's again I'm not taking away I'm not saying trying not to center myself in this experience or center white people but um it's it's yeah it's it's a tipping point for sure yeah I will say it's definitely a tipping point it's the first time in a long time that I've seen so many people want to do the work like I said I haven't seen that before I've seen the you know, post a graphic of Black Lives Matter and move along and, you know, things just go back to quote normal. This is the first time I'm seeing people read books about it and watch the documentaries. And there was actually even someone that uh, was an old coworker. And when I asked that question of, you know, why are you afraid to speak up? She wrote back to me and she's like, you know, I I believe all lives matter and blah, 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 you know, that whole Mm -hmm. argument. And she's obviously been educating herself because today I actually saw that she was standing up to her own father on Facebook. And her father said, all lives matter. I don't get it. What's going on. And she was commenting like, you don't, I, you're not understanding that all lives do matter. But right now we're focusing on black, uh, the black community because of what's going on. And I was like, Whoa, that was not her stance two weeks ago. Like she was on that same boat as her dad. And like I said, it was the first time I've ever really seen people that are so deeply embedded in their beliefs actually want to do the work and change and even stand up to their own family members. So I do agree it is an awakening and it's, yeah, like you said, it's not exciting that we're doing this. It's, it's more of like, okay, yeah, finally we're all on board to, to look inward and it's not, not all on board. Obviously everyone, there's still a huge uh, divide, but in terms Mm. of seeing this many people actively want to do the work, I don't think I've seen that in my lifetime. No, exactly. And um, it's interesting, you said about your friend saying, you know, she had this dance of all, all lives matter, because I actually, when I was reading my book last night, the Why I'm No Longer Talking to White People About Race book, I had this passage that I highlighted. So she's written, it's clear that equality doesn't quite cut it. Asking for a sliver of disproportional power is too polite a request. I don't want to be included. Instead, I want to question who created the standard in the first place. After a lifetime of embodying difference, I have no desire to be equal. I want to deconstruct the structural power of a system that marked me out as different. I don't wish to be assimilated into the status quo. I want to be liberated from all negative assumptions that my characteristics bring. The onus is not on me to change. Instead, it's the world around me, which I thought was so powerful. Wow. Yeah. I love that. I need to get that book because that's something that, that we all can learn. Like you said, it's on us now. This is not, someone said too, this is no longer a black issue. This is actually a white issue. This is like our job to do the work now. It's not their job. They've been doing it for years and years and years. It's time for us to show up. And that's something that I'm realizing. Like it's, it's the same with any movement. That's why I like to, I always use analogies on my podcast and it's unfortunate to have to use analogies about movements, but it's like when the me too movement happened, and everyone was coming forward and every you know, women started speaking up about it at um, Oscar speeches and the Grammys and everyone was online and coming out with their stories. 
So then people were like, okay, yeah, we need to get on board with it and like help and help more people come forward. And so it's like, yeah, that was the center of the focus. So it's like, if you, if you were someone that was passionate about that, like I was, and I really wanted to see justice for all those victims, it would be really annoying to have all of a sudden then guys jump in and be like, well, guys matter. Like what, what's wrong with Uh, us? We matter. And you're like, we know you matter, but right now we're in the middle of a movement where things we have the, everything is when this many people are paying attention, it's like, uh, you have to show them the resources and ways to take action. So it does take away from the whole concept of what a movement is. It's like anything. And if you guys think of anything you're passionate about and you would love to see this much attention on it, Think of what would happen if you got that much attention on the justice piece and then someone jumped in with like, well, what about this group of people? You're like, I know those people matter. It's just, this is what is neat. This is like what's on fire and needs to be put out. And that's what I'm learning myself is um, the the sentiment and the language and everything around it. But I'm glad that that you're doing the work and I'm glad that I've connected with you because we connected before this outburst really happened. And yeah. it was something that, as I even, like I said, I had to look at my own podcast and be like, okay, I think I've only had a handful of people of color on here. Again, not intentional, just that was a byproduct of the system that I'm um, in right now. And you specifically focus on wellness. So I know we've been talking for about 40 minutes, but can you actually <laughs> tell us specifically what you, you do? Because I do want to hear more of your story because I do think the work that you've done internally has probably gotten you to a point to be so active and confident about being active right now. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, yeah, so I'll start at the, the beginning, um, well, beginning-ish, middle career-wise. So I, my background um, is in the corporate world, which we we talked about. Um, so I was working in, well, for PR agencies, media agencies um, for nearly 10 years um, in London and yeah, climbing the, the corporate ladder. And it was all sort of very glamorous, but I was very, very burnt out. I was going through uh, depression and anxiety for many years without realizing it. Um, self-medicating with um, alcohol and drugs and yeah just was in a really not in a great place but I just thought it was normal to feel like that all the time and then I basically had a breakdown about four no five five and a half years ago ish I think I was working in I had a great job on paper I was earning good money Um, I just moved into my own place Um, I had great friends all of that but I just felt like my, I just felt wrong. I felt something was really, really wrong. And it was after a long period of sustained anxiety and depression um, that, yeah, I just couldn't, couldn't cope anymore, basically. So um, I had to, I moved back in with my parents for a few weeks to recover. I got signed off work and that was a massive turning point for me I mean we when we had our our pre-podcast chat we spoke about Saturn's return and that was definitely what it was for me Um, and for anyone listening who doesn't know what Saturn's return is it's basically an astrological concept that between every 27 and 29 years Saturn goes through your birth chart or I'm probably using the wrong term but hopefully you know what I mean and Saturn is the taskmaster so any Thing you're doing in your life that isn't in alignment with your truth um, will get shaken off course in a in a big way. Um, not everyone goes through it, but a lot of people do. And yeah, this was what happened to me basically. Like it was 
the being in the corporate world in the environment that I was in was really not in alignment with where my soul wanted to go, which was to work independently, to work in the wellness space, to help people. Um, and so, yeah, there was a really big period of deep introspection. And after I returned to work after being ill, uh, when I started feeling better and I had been spending all of my time just listening to podcasts about entrepreneurship and small business I'd immerse myself in the wellness world to, to try and heal myself from the depression, anxiety, and I'd been training to be a yoga teacher on the side. And it just dawned on me one day, like, okay, I don't actually have to carry on doing this job. If I'm so miserable, there are other options. And I was like, okay, so I'm spending all my time doing wellness stuff or reading about small business stuff. And I really enjoy the skills I had in marketing I was like, why don't I just combine them all and create a marketing agency that's going to help wellness small business owners? And it, that was just like a light bulb. And then I, yeah, there was a real uh, synchronicity that happened, the, a series of synchronicities that happened after then. So I had a bit of a relapse uh, mentally uh, after returning to work and uh, I could feel a panic attack coming on. And my boss said to me, look, um, just go, just go and go to a yoga class or something like that. Cause he knew that I found it really helpful. So, um, I left the office, went to a yoga class, did the yoga. And there was a, a teacher at the end who, a different teacher who was, um, doing meditation with us. So I just felt really drawn to go up and speak to her. So I said to her, Oh, you know, that was great. Um, have you always, um, taught yoga meditation? And she said, no, I used to work in marketing, but I had to leave cause I was having panic attacks. And I was like, oh, my God. Um, so, yeah, I went went back that weekend to think about things and then handed in my notice on the Monday. And it was really jumping off a cliff because I was on really good money. It was a stable job. It was, you know, all the things. But I just could no longer ignore what was trying to come up, which was to create my own business and offering. Um, and so from there, again, lots more synchronicity so I had I'd learned um Vedic meditation about a year before that and I hadn't um the teachers ran regular group meditations but I hadn't um been to them for about well since I learned and I got an email from them and I just knew I had to attend that one that week so I went along and they said oh we haven't seen you for a while what have you been up to and I said, oh, well, I'm just about to leave my job. I'm I'm going to be doing freelance marketing for wellness businesses. And they said, oh, we need some marketing help. So they were my first client. And then the second client, it just so happened the yoga teacher uh, school I was training with needed help as well. So they were my second. A friend was doing some filming work for a vegan cafe. So they were my third. The fourth was I posted on Instagram about what I was doing. And a friend of mine that had been doing the teacher training with me had just opened a studio and needed help and it all just went from there it was crazy it was like I didn't even have to try and I got 10 clients in the first year it was nuts wow so much yeah. to unpack there I know I so, just like it so much no it's it's amazing that I think you just showed the power of looking inward and and being like I don't want to feel like this anymore I want yeah. to take action and feel different so I want to go back a little bit and and talk about what were the most powerful things in your opinion, whether it was the yoga, the meditation, just the the ability to look inward. What were like one to three things that you can really attribute to to the success of your own business? Because I do 
I don't think that was a coincidence. I think it was a synchronicity <laughs> that you started working on yourself and living in your truth and things started happening. So I'm curious to, yeah. was it a mix of everything? You know, I really want people to hear the power of simple changes. Mm. I think, you know, it wasn't an overnight thing. There'd been a long period of, of that introspection and often lonely at times because I think we spoke about it, but I had to um, sort of say goodbye to my previous sort of party girl persona. Uh, I should have mentioned I had I gave up drinking as well. So I think the clarity of mind I got from not drinking plus the Vedic meditation, which is so powerful, that really excavated a huge amount of shit, for want of a better word, that was holding me back. And I, as I was releasing these layers through, yeah, having that added clarity, having a regular spiritual practice of, of the yoga and the Vedic meditation, which were, the, I guess, the cornerstones of it, um, allowed that, like, that authentic self to come through. Um, you know, we all have it, but of course it gets layered over by societal expectations or parental expectations or whatever it is. And we lose touch with what we actually want. So, you know, I'd finished university, I'd, um, I'd gone traveling for a bit and I, you know, came back to get into PR and to climb the ladder and all of that. And it, and I did, you know, a lot of it, I loved it. And then suddenly I got to the age of however old I was, 28, I think. And, um, and just wasn't happy. Um, and as I was, you know, removing all these layers, that's when it became, I guess I gave myself permission to go after what I wanted um, to recognize I wasn't happy and that the only person that could change that was me. So yeah, I'm just trying to think of sort of the three moments. Um, yeah, definitely learning Vedic meditation. Um, and I still do it today, six years later, that's been, that was key. Um, it works on a really, really deep level. So it's also called transcendental meditation or TM. So that works on a really deep level to, it allows your nervous system to go into a profound state of rest from which you can reverse the body's stress response so once you start dissolving all these layers of stress that you've been carrying for so long even if you don't feel stress like it's likely that you are just from the environment that you live in or from things like staring at a screen for eight hours a day so once you start clearing that from your nervous system that's when your authentic self comes through and you know it's different for everyone but I, I see it a lot people will start sort of their, they will start making these changes from a more authentic place, a more conscious place and sort of navigating life um, differently. So, yeah, I think I've always been very independent and sort of self-starting. And I think that combined with the spiritual practice and just knowing there must be more to life than sitting at my desk feeling miserable. Um, but I'm still so grateful for that corporate experience because it's got me to where I am today. Um but yeah, I think giving myself, having the clarity, giving myself the permission to go after what I wanted. Um, and because I was really the first, this was, I guess, right at the beginning of the boom in the wellness industry, definitely in the UK. So I was, I was the first, yeah, I didn't know anyone doing what I was doing and setting up a business in that way. Um, and I think I met, I was able to magnetize all these opportunities and people towards me because I was in, I took that giant leap of faith. And I was getting more solid in myself and with my spiritual practice that it, yeah, it was a combination of all these sort of forces. Well, a yeah, a combination of taking that aligned action. 
plus you know the mysteries mysteries of the universe so yeah I look back and I'm like oh my god I cannot believe how that happened (laughs) but yeah it was all it was all meant to be meant to happen in the way that it has but yeah it's been it's been a wild ride (laughs) yeah I love the fact that you brought up the Vedic and transcendental meditation because I've keep hearing of it, I feel like almost every spiritual leader I look to has done it or practices it regularly. So there was one in Bondi that I'm going to look into when I get back um, because I have heard such amazing things. But there's something I want to talk about too with, it's kind of similar to the language we were just using with anti-racism. If you if you're someone that's like been off Instagram and you hear these words like right fragility and anti-racist and uh, white supremacy, like it's they're just words that you're like, I don't really get it. What does that mean? And I find that a lot in the wellness world. Like the more I get into it, I'm like, there are so many phrases and words that we use that I would love for us to go through and and really break it down for someone that's like just stepping into the the world of spirituality and wellness. And I think one of them is living your truth and like living in alignment. What does that mean to you? Yeah, I'm glad you asked that actually, because I used to hear things like that like at seven years ago and be like more so to me that means being conscious of maybe looking at your life so the different areas of your life whether it's your health your um your career uh where you're living the the media you consume are you doing those things because you want to and you're actively choosing to or are you just doing them automatically and i think we are largely conditioned into um you know work really hard at school either go straight into the workplace um or go to to university or college get the degree start the career climb up the ladder I mean maybe less so for people sort of growing up now but it was like I guess you get into the rat race many people get into the rat race um and for, you know, it's thinking, it's looking around and thinking, am I happy? Am I, you know, doing something that means something to me? Or am I doing this for other people? Or, you know, because I've been conditioned to think that this is the best way to do things. Um, so I think that's how I would explain it to someone. Like, am, am I living from my personal principles and values? Or am I adopting those of of other people or the you know what I should be doing rather than what I want to be doing right and I think that requires getting brutally honest with yourself too because I know a few years ago I thought I was living my truth you know I was using my college degree I had my perfect corporate job that was paying me well with a great company environment and great benefits and I was like yeah this is my truth like this is what I got my degree in and it's that inner voice and intuition that's like no, this is not your truth. You don't feel lit up. You don't feel it doesn't come easy. It's not flow. It's not fun. It's just like, it works. And I'm like, it works was just like, not enough for me. Um, and I agree with that. Like that. Are you living on someone else's terms? Like, are you doing it? Cause your ex thought you couldn't do it. Are you doing it? Cause your parents thought differently. Are you doing it? Cause society says you shouldn't do that, but you should, or whatever the case is. And something that's pop that that has recently popped up for me, which you mentioned is drinking because of quarantine. And because of the position I'm in, I didn't really have a chance to go out and drink. And so just naturally I started eating healthier and not drinking. And last night I had a drink for the first time in three months. And I was just like, 
that was not necessary at all. Like I only did it because I was around people doing it. And I want to talk about how you came to that conclusion to stop drinking because you and I related in that, like you said, we have these party girl personas. I went to a crazy <laughs> college. That's all we did six nights a week, get super drunk. My family is big drinkers. Like we bond over going out for drinks. You know, that's just a social thing to do. You go out and get drinks. You go on a date and get a drink. And last night, I'm not saying like, you know, no alcohol ever, like screw people that drink alcohol. I'm not making such a de uh, declaration about it. But it just, for me, it was like, I just don't have a desire anymore. But I know when I go back into the, you know, quote, real world, when I get back home or I'm traveling again, this is going to pop up. So I'm curious how you came to that decision and how it's changed your life. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I was a party girl until about, uh, probably when I, around the time I started to learn Vedic meditation and yoga, actually. And yeah, I had this sort of new consciousness around how I felt after I've been drinking. Um, and I started really noticing, I, that's it, I became much more sensitive to alcohol. I mean, maybe I was all along, I just didn't realize it until then. But, you know, I would drink at the weekend or whatever, I'd, I'd go on a, on a binge, and then I would feel like shit until, say, Wednesday. I'd have this cloud of anxiety and, and depression over me. And, you know, I was still functioning, and that's why I didn't do anything about it for so long. Um, and I just realized, like, it really wasn't making me feel good anymore. And it just got to a point where, you know, was the sort of two to four hours of, of drinking and feeling that that high, was that really worth three days of anxiety and depression? And, and no, it wasn't. So I started experimenting, first of all, with just drinking less. Um, it was very much a process like, you know, I'd abstain for a few months and then I'd have like binges again or, you know, it just, it was very up and down. Um, and then I actually, <laughs> the turning point came, um, I was actually in the Philippines um, visiting my friends over there and um, we took some magic mushrooms and I had this really unexpected, hugely profound vision and um, the the mushrooms or my subconscious or whatever it was uh, just basically communicated to me, to me that alcohol was just not working for me anymore and like I had to have this sort of year of purification where um, where I, I couldn't drink and I needed to give up meat and some other things. And so that really just flicked the switch and I didn't drink for, I didn't make it to the year, but I had 10 months off drinking, which was the longest period of time I hadn't drank since I started when I was about 15. Um, so that really, like, the clarity I got from that period was just incredible and this was around the same time that I was that I'd quit my job and was starting my business and everything like that so yeah I had 10 months off and then since then I've had sort of gone back to it two or three times but it's I'm just not a drinker anymore like it just doesn't make me feel good you know I do miss having like a glass of wine um but I for me it's just such a no-brainer like it just makes me feel really bad if I drink. Uh, so it's just not worth it for me. So yeah, I never thought that would happen. And I do sort of, I do miss it, I have to say sometimes, but the reward of not drinking have far outweighed the rewards of drinking. How did you deal with that socially? Because 
we know British people in America love to drink. That's our perception <laughs> of the British love to drink. So I'm I'm curious, and you know, the pub culture is so big there. How did you uh, deal with that when you went out? It was really hard, actually. Um, I'm not going to lie. I, you know, f- friends. I'm not really my friendship circle definitely changed, but people would, you know, why aren't you drinking? What's wrong with you? Why aren't you drinking? And I'd say, oh, I just don't don't feel like it. And they would push me, but just just drink, just have one, go on, just have one. Uh, you know, sometimes I would I would just to please them, and um, because I wasn't in I wasn't as in tune with myself as I am today. And you know, that's okay. It's all learning. Um, or you know, I'd, I wouldn't get invited to things, or I'd just get treated like an alien because, as you said, the the drinking culture here is big. Like my my good friends were like that are still my really close friends today. They were like completely understanding and supportive about it. Um, but yeah, it definitely caused issues um, because I think maybe when you say you're not drinking, it can spark that bit of questioning in someone else, and they may feel sort of threatened about their own drinking behavior I don't know but yeah I went against the status quo um and uh yeah it was really tough actually and um but actually looking back I think that was a good thing because I then had you know spent all of this time being you know introspective and doing all the healing that I needed to do but it's interesting because then it's something about the language I found that if I said I I'm not drinking that would be different to I don't drink. I think if you say I don't drink, then people like maybe they assume that you're in AA or or something else, but they they'll push you less. Um, I think actually, as I'm speaking it through, I just realized it's when I accepted, I gave myself permission to not drink, and I accepted it in myself that that then created a different a different reaction because I was like. I was still people pleasing with it. I think back then I was still pretty easily swayed. But when I was like, or when I started being open, like actually it really affects my mental health. There's not much people can say to that. And it does catch people off guard. It's quite funny. Um, but yeah, a lot, you know, it, it was tough. But now I think definitely over the last few years, I've, as I've, you know, made new, new sort of spiritual, <laughs> spiritual friends or, you know, pe- socialize more with people that don't drink either. Um, it's it's been easier, I guess. But you know, I don't have a problem with other people drinking. I'm not against alcohol. It just doesn't work for me. Um, so, yeah, it's 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 like, why should it be such a thing if you're not drinking? But I think in you know British society and and other sort of Anglo-Saxon based um, nations, like it's it's just a thing to drink, drink to celebrate, drink to commiserate. It's just so deeply ingrained in socializing that anything that sort of goes against that is, is often met with like, but why? But um, yeah, it's, it's super interesting. I love that you came to that realization and you had so much clarity because I, I can relate. I do feel like I'm much more clear in my my vision for myself, but I also just have time now to do those things. Like I wake up and I'm not hungover so I can wake up earlier and do a workout and meditate and journal and, and not be so distracted by the, Oh my God, I'm so hungover. I need to eat. I need to order food. I, I need to go take a nap. Like that was my life for a very long time was like you said, binge, 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 mm-hmm. feel good for like two or three days a week and then just rinse and repeat. Um, and yeah. that's not to say, that's not to say I'm not going to have a drink again. I, 
I'm learning now. I don't like to be super, um, I don't like to declare things so heavily out loud. It's like to your, like you said, giving yourself that permission. Like I can give my pers- myself permission to not drink, but I can also, if I'm feeling like a drink is fine and I won't go into some shame or guilt spiral that I can go ahead and have that drink. So that's yeah. something that I'm learning. Yeah, for sure. There's a really good book called Sober Curious by um, Ruby Warrington um, that I'd recommend. And she has this sort of process in it about four questions that she asks herself before having a drink. And one of them is like, why, why am I drinking? Like, is it because I feel good? Is it because I feel bad and I like need a fix? There's a very, it's a different experience, I think, if you're drinking to numb something or if you're drinking because you genuinely like um, you're feeling good and like it just feels like something that you want to do. So I think, yeah, examining why why you are drinking. And, you know, it's a process and it's an experiment as well. Like, you know, it doesn't have to be an absolute thing. Like you can just experiment with, okay, maybe I just want to drink like once a week or maybe I just want to have like one glass of wine instead of the bottle. Like, yeah, it took me ages to kind of get to the stage where I was like, no, I can't, like it's just not for me um and I think I'm just so sensitive to it as well it's just not even worth it like even if I had one glass of wine I'd still feel off for like a couple of days so it's uh it's really annoying but I think I'm just yeah it's just not meant to be in my life I just go to cacao ceremonies instead (laughs) oh my gosh I love a cacao ceremony I did one in Bali and I recounted my experience on this podcast. And it was one of those things that I went to. I was like, "Mm, this is a little too woo woo, a little too spiritual. Like even when we got there, I was like, I'm not participating. And then I was the one like participating and crying, sharing all my limiting beliefs. I'm like, God, these things really (laughs) work, huh? So I actually wanted to end on that. I love to hear what people's daily practices are or rituals or even monthly. Like I know people do new moon ceremonies and cacao ceremonies. So I would love to hear from you about not only your daily practices, but what are some things throughout the year that are really important to you to maintain this, this energy that you now have? Mm. So I, in terms of my daily practice, um, I, the first thing I do is, um, I do my, my morning Vedic meditation practice, which is 20 minutes. Um, and then I'll normally do either a bit of kundalini yoga or um, vinyasa, but like generally nothing too heavy. Um, and then now I'm back in London. I'll yeah, I'll try and get out first thing, like for a walk or um, or a, a small run, um, just to get some fresh air. Um, and I find matcha having a matcha latte really helps me just like get because I'm not a morning person so just having that like kickstart of uh caffeine in that way really helps me just get going um and then I will yeah just go about my day and then in the evening I'll generally do um oh do you know um to be magnetic manifestation stuff Yes. So funny you said that because my friend was like, you need to do it. And so now I'm like literally last week just logged on, but I haven't actually started. (laughs) Okay. You're going to love it. Um, so I normally do, uh, one of those, I guess it's hypnotherapy kind of, um, manifestation practice. So I'll normally do that in the evening or, um, yeah, might do like 
another little burst of yoga. It just depends. Like it's not super structured, but I definitely do need my morning practice to ground me. Uh, and then, yeah, all the usuals like journaling really helps as well, or just like processing what's happened or what's going on for me uh, with friends. And I have an amazing therapist as well that I see every two weeks, which really helps. So, yeah, I kind of just pick and pick and choose. I mean, I guess if I'm feeling off, I mentally, then I have. I guess I have this toolbox now of like practices that kind of get me back to to center. Um, which are all of the ones that I've just spoken about. So, yeah, I think it's really different for everyone and you just have to experiment and find out what works for you. So I find traveling, like I've always loved traveling. Um, so, I, yeah, whenever I can get away, I will. I've just spent a year living in um, Ibiza. Um, so that was amazing being being so close to nature being on an incredible island um but yeah I'll try and get away and I just yeah I just love traveling and getting that change in perspective and environment um and I yeah I love a love a new moon full moon ceremony um I mean there's so obviously there's so much stuff online at the moment um but I do feel like yeah we I am really spoiled with options of of things that I can join um but yeah I, I think I'm in like a monthly sharing circle as well with some women um so yeah I just I just go with the flow basically <laughs> you have the toolbox like that's what I always mm. tell everyone is as long as you have a toolbox even if it's one to two tools that you know you can enlist that's mm. a great starting point because I personally got overwhelmed when I stepped into this world of oh my gosh, I need to wake up, drink lemon water, apple cider vinegar <laughs> shot, wheatgrass shot, you know, I everything. Like that was already, I'm like, that's too many shots of whatever the liquid <laughs> is. Like what is going on? And then I finally realized, okay, I don't like this. I do like this. And being confident in those practices that do work mm-hmm. for you. Like, you know, everyone says they do meditation, but there's a million styles of meditation and you don't have yeah. to do it for two hours. You can do it for five minutes on Headspace as long as you're feeling like, yeah, that was helpful. So I'm glad you shared all these different things because I'm sure half of them, a lot of people haven't heard of. So that's nice that they can actually go look at them now. Yeah, no, I'm always happy to share what works for me. Um, and also I, I wanted to say that, um, I think as well in, it can be, or certainly I have got into spaces sometimes where I've been like trying to fix myself with all these practices and not so much with the meditation and the yoga, but some of the other things like, and, you know, I really resonate with what you say about like doing all the shots or, you know, I'll do the tapping and then I'll do the meditating and then I'll do the, you know, whatever. Uh, so I, if I'm feeling overwhelmed by this, then I'll have like a week off where I'll just strip it back to basics. So I'll just do like the yoga and the meditation, but I won't do any other kind of self-development um, practice for a week or so or just like do nor like normal <laughs> non you know I'll just watch Netflix um instead of doing all this deep work because um I think sometimes yeah we can get into this space or you know sort of fix on the idea that we need to we need to be healed we need to be fully healed we need to be our best selves we need to xyz it's like no like that there's an ebb and a flow to these things. And, you know, sometimes you might want to focus on healing a certain thing, but then I think having that time off definitely for me, stripping it back allows me to rebalance and kind of integrate all of this deep work that I have done or do. So I think that's something to be mindful as well. Um, 
that it can be easy to fall down that trap, but it's not about fixing yourself. It's just about sort of, I guess it's about dissolving the things that hold you back from being your, well, coming back to the idea of being your true self. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Let's end on our true selves. I <laughs> need to get back to that. That's something that going back to the very, very beginning of this conversation is taking that step back to, to use these practices so that I can have clarity on what I'm even standing up for. And so I appreciate that you shared all your resources with us as well as your practices. And if people want to get in touch with you or work with you, how can they go about doing that? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram as Samsara Communications. Uh, my website is samsarakommunications.com and you can contact me via there or Instagram. And so there's a few different ways of that I work. So I um either from a strategic point of view. So if you want to talk to me about your social media and marketing strategy, I can help. Um and I also do coaching as well. You can book in for like a one-off clarity session where we can talk about anything to do with your wellness business if you just need a, an expert opinion on it or second pair of eyes. Um, and then I'm going to push it back actually to September, but I'm launching a wellness business accelerator, which will be a four-week group coaching program um, for anyone that wants to unleash their vision and, uh, and step up their game in terms of their wellness business. Love that. So many things going on. So you guys be sure to go visit her website, her social media, take the course if this is something that aligns with you. And thank you so much for joining me in this conversation today. I know we went from anti-racism to your background, but I do think, like I said, it does connect because I'm not sure that, I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I don't think I would feel so confident in standing up for social justice issues if I hadn't done work on myself first. Yeah, I hadn't looked at it from that perspective until you said that. But I think that's a really, really salient point. Um, I think, yeah, having that sort of strong foundation of a, a daily practice and the introspection definitely is uh, sets you up for, for um, diving deep into this necessary anti-racism work for sure. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Helen, for joining in my non-expert opinion. Thank you for having me. Bye. Thank you guys for tuning in this week. I hope you enjoyed that conversation between Helen and I, and be sure to follow her at Samsara Communications. Follow me at Chelsea Reif. Join my Facebook group, Reframe Your Mindset to Change Your Life. And you can always email me, hello at inmynonexpertopinion.com. We are going to be launching a lot of new things in July and August, so stay tuned for that. Be sure to follow at Non-Expert Opinion Pod. And with that, I will see you next week. Mm-hmm.